Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. How thankful are you that we worship a God who can do far above and beyond all we could ask or think to ask him. Are you thankful for that? Man, we, we serve a great God and there's so, so much going on in our world. And I mean, we can come into this morning uh, distracted or with heavy hearts. I think it's just important for us to gather and to sing together and remind ourselves of the good God we serve who is in control who is aware of all the needs and is actively at work within our lives. I'm just so thankful for that. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you to our team leading us this morning. Well, if you have your Bibles, I wanna invite you to go ahead and grab those and meet me in the book of Proverbs, that Old Testament book of Proverbs. This morning, we're gonna focus our attention on a section out of chapter four. You know, the Proverbs are known as wisdom literature. And what that means is that they are a poetic art form. So how do you approach a poetic art form? Well, the Proverbs Proverbs weren't written for us to have a quick consumption, but they are actually intended for us to be contemplative when we study the Proverbs. We are to ponder them. And the more that we ponder and wrestle with what they're trying to communicate, the wisdom they're trying to impart to us, the more beauty and knowledge we will discover as a follower of Christ. But here is what I have learned over my lifetime being directed to and studying the Proverbs. The true value of the wisdom we find within its pages comes when we take that knowledge and we apply it to real life. It is possible when we read the Proverbs or any extra part of the Bible actually to see wisdom offered by God, truth given to us that is life-changing, but to struggle how to know how to apply it to real life. And so this morning what I want us to do in our time together is to consider a portion of Proverbs that has become one of my favorite. It's ministered to me and my heart deeply. And for us to consider together how you and I could apply this to a specific challenge that that I know we all face at one time or another in our lives. And so with that, would you stand with me this morning as we read from God's word, his wisdom found in Proverbs chapter four, starting in verse 20 and reading through 27. Are you ready to hear God's wisdom today? Say ready. Ready. This is the word of the Lord. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Do you believe there's wisdom in there for us today? There is, you may be seated. God, we just, we pray now, we we ask you to use your Holy Spirit to bring this passage to life. Let it speak to our hearts. Let it give us wisdom for today. And God, let it remind us of how good you are to us, that you haven't left us on our own to figure out how to solve the problems we encounter. 
Help us to trust you more. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. We've all felt the experience and the feelings of being wronged. Whether it's the suffering that comes as a result of betrayal, injustice, broken promises, or hurtful words, we've all been wronged. But it's our responses in those moments that is most critical. Several years ago, I had found myself in a, in a pretty low place. A relationship that was near and dear to my heart had, had an unexpected change. I was hurt. I felt like I had been blindsided. I had been betrayed. I felt like there had been promises made that now had been broken. And I was just floundering. And so I, I went to a pastor friend of mine and I just asked for a, a meeting. Can I, can I sit and just pour out my heart? And in my injustice and in my hurt and in my wrong, I, I just felt like I needed someone to be able to commiserate with, someone that would affirm that I had been treated unjustly and this was wrong. And so I traveled down uh, to this uh, pastor's church. I sat in his office. I began to pour out all the things that had happened to me. All the, all the ways that someone had let me down. And in that moment, I was hoping for them to say, man, Pete, that stinks. You have been wronged and justice must be served. <laughs> but like most good pastors, they didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. He told me what I needed to hear. And it wasn't rooted in his own experience or in his ideas, it was rooted in God's word. And he took me to Proverbs chapter four and he read verse 23 to me. And it says, guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life. He said, Pete, I know you're hurting, but I wanna encourage you right now to guard your heart. You see, if we leave our heart unguarded, these types of hurts can cause lingering pain that we carry for years and years and years. But that won't only just impact us, but that pain will turn to bitterness or to anger or discouragement that will impact how we treat others. And so what do we do when we've been wrong? Our natural tendency might be to withdraw or to retaliate, but God's word suggests a different approach. And that is this, when you've been wronged, guard your heart. When you've been wrong, guard your heart. When I think of the word on guard, uh, the first thought that might come to many of us is this idea of fencing, you know, a sport that we only see like once every four years in the Olympics, if we watch it. But as a kid who grew up in the 80s, when I think of on guard, I think of this. I think of Daniel-san. <laughs> what does it mean to be on guard? It means to assume a defensive position ready for attack. What the passage here is saying as this father is speaking to his son and imparting wisdom that he believes will give the son life and will protect the son and will guide the son's step. He's calling his son to guard his heart above all else for it is the source of life. The word heart used in this passage in Proverbs chapter four is not referring to that organ that pumps life-sustaining blood throughout the body, but it's speaking about the spiritual source of all our thoughts, feelings, and actions. One author describes the heart like this. The heart is the seat of your deepest trusts, commitments, and loves from which everything flows. 
What the heart most loves and trusts, the mind find reasonable, the emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. And it's because that is where life flows out of, out of our heart, that we're encouraged to guard it above all else. We can't let even a trace amount of bitterness or anger to exist or remain. On Friday, I did something dumb. <clears throat> Somebody invited me to go on a bike ride. It was a 50 mile bike ride. <laughs> From Corvallis to Newport. 5,000 feet of climbing. I thought I was okay. Until about mile, mile 25. When my hamstrings and my quad, my legs just started to betray my body. And everything started to cramp up. And so I jumped off my bike in this fetal position on an asphalt road somewhere up by Mary's Peak. And I grabbed a bottle that had some electrolytes in it and I started to drink it rapidly. As I walked my way up the five miles of that part of the ride to find the rest of my team just laying in the shade eating lunch, some of them offered me more to drink. I needed it. I was desperate for more hydration. But what if someone came to me and said, hey, I've got this, it's got a little bit of poison in it, but you need this right now, will you drink it? Just a little bit, you won't even taste it, but it's in there. Would you drink it? Should I drink it? No. Thankfully, they didn't offer me that. But the reality is, is that even if it's just a little bit of something, it can do major damage. And sometimes when you and I have been wrong, we will allow ourselves to kind of feel justified in our frustration and our anger or the desire to kind of make sure that we administer justice. But when we take that burden on ourselves and we respond out of the flesh when we've been wronged, we're actually allowing these little roots of bitterness and anger to start to go and they grow rapidly beneath the soil of our hearts and they begin to impact not only us, but how we treat other people. So what practical advice then does this passage provide for real life? Again, we see this passage, it says, guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life. That's a great piece of wisdom. I believe it's true, but if you're like me, sometimes like, okay, but what does that actually look like? How do I take the scriptures and apply it to a real life situation? Well, I wanna show you five things that I see here in this text this morning, five ways that we can guard our hearts when we've been wronged. Are you ready? Good job. <laughs> Number one, we need to go to the word. Look again with me at verse 20. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. When you are wronged, the first thing you should do is go to the word. Did you catch those statements? Pay attention, listen closely, don't lose sight. Keep them within. Why? Because God's word is life. It's refreshing drink when we are parched in our souls. God's word give life and freedom. They protect us. They clarify the truth. 
Because oftentimes when we are wrong, we get caught up in our emotions and our thinking's all wrong and we can't tell what's true, what's not true, especially if sometimes the things that hurt us or that wrong us are second or third hand and yet they're impacting us. God's word just kind of goes right through that and clarifies what is true and what is not. We need that. We need that clarity when we're hurting, when our emotions and our feelings. Have you ever been misled by your feelings or emotions? You ever thought something and you turned out that was wrong? God's word helps us with that. When you've been wrong, we go to the word. And what does God's word does? It comforts us. Like in Psalm 34, when it says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have troubles, many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from all of them. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. When you are wronged and you are just reeling in that pain and injustice, how good is it to know that God's aware of it and he will protect you, he will guide you, he will guard you. When you've been wronged, go to the word. But the second thing that we should do to guard our hearts when we've been wronged is use scripture in response to the pain and offense or trial. Look what it says here in verse 24. It says, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. How many of us justify the words we use about someone who's offended us when we're upset? Or when we try to describe what's going on to us, we, we start to say all these things that we don't even know if they're tied to reality, but they're just making us help, help us feel good in that moment. And yet they could be spreading fire faster than what's happened to us. When you have been wrong, it is important that we let the scriptures help us understand and then how to respond in our words to what's going on. And Jesus is our example in this. In Luke chapter four, it tells us about a time when Jesus had been led out by the spirit of God into the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights, he's out there and he's, during that time when he is famished and tired, he's approached by Satan and three different times he is tempted to sin. And in each of those instances, he responds by quoting scripture. He responds to that temptation with the truth of God's word. Friends, if scripture in the moment of a trial or in a hardship or in the wrongdoing is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Because when words are rooted in the scriptures, they will be full of grace and truth. I think sometimes we misunderstand like, being followers of Christ, that like when we've been wrong, we should just be like, oh, it's okay. No, that's wrong. That, that does lead into grievousness and abuse that should, God does not tolerate and that he does not stand for. God is not calling us when we have been wrong to just sit back and, and not speak truth but he's called us to let the spirit of God derive those words and to let those words flow so that are rooted in scripture so that they are full of both grace and truth because he does call us to forgive, but he does call us to speak truth. Scriptures will help us know how to do that well. When we respond out of the flesh, our words can be biting, they can be wrong, they can be offensive. But when we respond using the scriptures, our words will be full of grace and truth. So when you are wronged, use scripture to know how to respond to the pain, to the offense, to the trial you're facing. 
Third thing we see here, when we've been wronged, we need to adjust our focus. Look at verse 25. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. I told you about a time when I had been wrong and this passage really ministered to my heart. I remember calling my wife when this kind of relationship fell apart and I was pretty devastated and I was sharing and kind of looking for that same sympathy and I could hear on the other end of the phone, my wife started to get a little bit emotional for me. She was hurting because I was hurting but I will never forget the wisdom that God spoke through her in that moment to me. When she said, I'm sorry, but I can't wait to see what God is going to do. Wow. I married up, man. In that moment when I was hurting so bad, the word of God through a a sister in the Lord, my wife said, hey, don't let this moment be a defining moment. Let this be the start of something great. Even in your hurt, do you trust me? I can't wait to see what God's going to do. This is what it means. When you've been wrong, we got to adjust our focus. Sometimes we get so focused on the offense and how much it's hurt, how wrong it is rather than to maybe see it as something that, okay, God, I don't like this. I don't know why it's happening, but I trust you. Throughout the scriptures, we see examples of this. In the Psalms specifically, a a large portion of the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament, where we see the author just crying out to God in anguish. One of my favorite Psalms of Lament is Psalm 13. It's six verses long. In the first four verses, it's just like, how long, God? How long are you gonna let this happen? What what are you doing? How long? Isn't this enough? Step up and do something. But then in the final two verses of Psalm 13, this is what the psalmist says. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Think about this. It goes from this moment of anguish to this trust, this confidence, why the focus was adjusted. And he's speaking as if it's already done. It's already past tense. I'm gonna worship you because you've already dealt with me generously. In the moments when we have been wronged, we need to adjust our focus. Psalms of lament show us that honest expressions of confusion and discouragement are normal, yet we don't need to stay there. We always need to return back to remembering God's faithful love. One author put it like this, the best way to guard your heart for wisdom is worship in which the mouth, the mind, the imagination, and even the body are all oriented to God. When you've been wrong, we need to adjust our focus off of the offense and onto the one who's got us. When we worship, we reflect on God's generosity to us. And that is fuel for continued faith. When you're like, I don't know if I can hold on. I don't know why God would let this happen. When we focus on him, we begin to worship and remember all of God's generosity. It fuels us to continue to trust him even in the moments of hardship. When you've been wronged, you need to adjust your focus. 
fourth thing that we see here in this text for how we can guard our hearts when we've been wrong is we need to respond carefully. It says in verse 26, carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. What I think the the father is imparting to the son is to not act impulsively in those moments when you've been wrong, but be deliberate, be careful, be thoughtful. Proverbs 20 verse three says, it's one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. In his book called The Thing Beneath the Thing, Pastor Steve Carter said this, the only thing we can truly control is our response to this moment right here and now. If you learn to be attentive to the present, it will prepare you for what God has in store for you. But if not, we risk missing opportunities and end up slowing down our personal, emotional, and spiritual development. When you've been wrong, it's easy just to kind of respond out of emotion, to respond out of a sense of injustice and how we're going to rectify that, how we're going to make amends for that. But oftentimes when we get involved and we do it in our own power and we do it impulsively, it actually makes things worse. It might feel good in the moment, but then we step away, we just see the collateral damage. We can't go back and change the past and we really can't control the future. But right now in this present moment, we have a choice. This is one of the things I love about this proverb is that it indicates to us that we have a choice when we've been wrong. We don't have to act that way. Even though sometimes when I've had to correct my children for arguing or treating each other rudely and they say, well, I had to do it. No, we had a choice. We had a choice. Responding out of pain usually makes things worse for you and for others. And so when you've been wrong, You need to respond carefully. The last thing that I believe this passage teaches us on how to guard our hearts is that we need to deny self-reliance. Deny self-reliance. Verse 27 says, don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. This is kind of a bookend statement. If you take this one section, verses 20 through 27, remember at the beginning when he says there in verses 20 through 22, pay attention, listen closely, don't lose sight. Keep these words within your heart because they will give you life. And now he's saying here, and now once you see those things and you fix your eyes on what I've said and you follow them, don't allow yourself to slip into helping me with this or taking my words and then adding some of your own ideas to it. Don't, once you've fixed your gaze, once you've responded carefully, continue to follow my way, not your own. It is so possible for all of us when we've been wronged, and especially when that situation and that conflict that kind of continues to go on, you know, sometimes it's not just a moment, it's an ongoing thing. And maybe at first we can kind of do a good job of going to the scriptures and letting it kind of help us speak to the pain and adjusting our focus and responding carefully. But over time, it becomes harder and harder when we are doing it in our own strength. And it is so possible for us to slip into self-reliance, to start to let our guard down. One author reminds us of the, why we shouldn't do that. 
He says, relying on our own cleverness to live out the Christian life is like trying to circle the globe in a glider. It might fly for a while, but predictably it's going to crash. Prayer, on the other hand, is God's sovereignly appointed means of connecting our never-ending neediness to God's never-ending power. Listen to that again. Prayer, on the other hand, is God's sovereignly appointed means of connecting our never-ending neediness to God's never-ending power. Think about a glider. A glider can get off the ground. It can go for a long way. It has no engine, has no propulsion. It's just using aerodynamics to float and to glide. But if you tried to go around the whole world in a glider, you're not going to make it. And isn't that the case sometimes when we're trying to take care of the wrong on ourselves? It's like, you know, we can kind of do a good job on our own power and own strength for a while, but eventually if we're just relying on our ability to overcome the injustice that's happened to us or around us, that eventually we struggle, we slip, we fall into it, trying to do it on our own. That is a great picture of the Christian life is that we start to think when things are going good or we feel like we're starting to have success that we kind of just say, all right, God, I'll take it from here. And then we start to veer off. It's like when my kids started to learn how to ride a bike and I'm holding on to them and they're saying, I got it, I got to let go. And you let go and they go right into the bushes. <laughs> That's the Christian life. We have to deny that self-reliance. He's saying, I will show you the way. I will give you the wisdom. Don't, don't let self-reliance slip in. Because here's the reality, an unguarded heart can easily disguise vengeance as justice. We can think, well, I'm just doing what's right. I'm just making it right. But the reality is, is when we take that into our own hands, it actually can easily become something more. It's like, I'm not just trying to make things back to what they were. I'm actually gonna take it further. So what I appreciated about this proverb <clears throat> in that moment 10 years ago when I was hurting is that it reminded me that I had a choice. Rather than responding recklessly or passively, and I think that's often how we do it. We're wrong. Some of us get really upset and we just like, all right, let's go. We put on our boxing gloves and we're ready to fight. And for other of us, we get wrong and it's like, I'm pulling away. I'm isolating, I'm icing them out. I'm, I'm just gonna distance myself. Wisdom on the other hand, urges us to respond carefully, to hold tightly to God's word, to fix our eyes on him, to respond and react carefully and remain committed to his way forward. And if we will guard our hearts when we've been wrong, here is what I believe the good news is for us this morning, is that a guarded heart can grow in all circumstances. It is so easy for us to adopt a victim mentality. And I understand that there are some who are truly victims. They have suffered injustice and trauma and abuse that they did not deserve, that they did not, that, that should never have happened. But oftentimes in our culture today, we can just assume a victim mentality that everything that's happened to us is just so wrong and, and it's just, we gotta make it right. But when we try to, to, to solve injustice on our own, there's no freedom in that. But what scripture shows us through the lives of some of its uh, stories and people is that a guarded heart can grow in all circumstances. Think about King David. This shepherd boy anointed to be the second king of Israel 
finds himself being invited into the king's uh, entourage. He, he's there, he, he, sl- he slew um, Goliath, he, he does this thing that's amazing. And so he's kind of coming in and he's seen to be this great warrior and, and then he goes out and he, God uses him to defeat just thousands of people. And the king at the time, Saul, is so jealous that David is getting celebrated. Attempts to murder David. On two separate occasions, while David is playing a harp to try to soothe this king, Saul picks up a spear and tries to pin David to the wall. And so David is forced to go on the run. He's already been anointed. He's already been identified as the next one in line. And it's obvious that the one ahead of him, the first king of Israel, Saul, is no longer following God. And while on the run, David had two opportunities where he could have killed Saul himself. But he chose in both of those instances, rightly, to not raise his hand against Saul. This unjust treatment forced David into a life of isolation in the wilderness. And while we might think of like, that's just so wrong. Why did God let that happen? Think about what God did in those moments of injustice. Erwin Lutzer, speaking about David, said this, Yet from the barrenness of those desert years flowed the life-giving streams of the Psalms. Can you imagine your Christian experience without the refrains of the Psalms? This book of the Bible that's been now left for generations that we go to when we need encouragement was all birthed out of a time of injustice, of peril. And it was in those moments that God spoke through David and he wrote down these words that continue to bring life to us when we've been wronged and we've been discouraged. Not only that, God developed in David qualities like patience and humility and independence on God, all qualities that he would need to be successful in that next season of life when he would be king of Israel. Why I think it's so important for us to to look at these kinds of examples in scriptures and remember that a guarded heart can grow in all circumstances is it's important for us to remember that even in the midst of our struggle, the promise of God's faithfulness remains. And it's often in hardship that God does his greatest work in us. Philippians 1.6 has become one of my favorite verses to reflect on in moments when when life is hard and it's not going, it doesn't make sense. And when things are happening to me that are offensive. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is our hope. That even though life might be hard and there might be times when we are treated wrong, the promise for us who place our faith in Christ is that he started something at that moment when we placed our faith in the gospel. And no matter what he allows us to go through, he will finish what he intended to do in your life. There's nothing on this side of heaven that can stop God's plans. The call for you and I in those moments of hardship is to guard our hearts when we've been wronged. Would you pray with me? Father, I I know that this is a timely word as we live in in a world, in a culture where we are constantly fighting and bickering 
harming each other with our words. God, there's so much brokenness in the world and it touches each of our lives and it's hard. And yet, God, you've called your people to live differently, to not live just on a self-reliance of the flesh and their own intellect and idea, using their own power and resources, but to live a life of dependence on you, dependence on the spirit of God. And so God, I pray first for us that we would consider this, this proverb this morning, this wisdom literature, and that we would chew on it and that we would wrestle with it this week and that you would continue to reveal in us the beauty of a life that is guarded, the heart that is guarded, that we'd be people who would quickly go to your word and that we let scripture be what guides our words, that you would help us adjust our focus when we are hurting and fix our eyes on you, trusting that you will finish what you started, that we will walk carefully in those moments, not impulsively, and that we will not rely on ourselves, that we will rely on you. God, I pray that you would help us in those moments when we face injustice and that you would help us guard our hearts and that we could experience that newness of life that is found in you. Let us be a people, let us be a church who responds differently to the brokenness around us and let it be all for your glory and to proclaim your great name. God, we pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen.